Welcome to Hiraith, the home of modern Welsh politics. Wales has a significant history with the nuclear industry, from weapons through to energy, with early initiatives dating back to the mid-20th century. The names Trausfynydd and Wilver have long cast a shadow, all lit up Wales, depending on your view of this quite divisive energy area. Both nuclear power stations are now undergoing the long clean-up process, but as Wales continues to transition towards a cleaner and more sustainable energy landscape, nuclear power is supposed to be a major contributor to the country's efforts to meet its energy demands while minimising its environmental impact. The Wilver New of Project Remains, a significant nuclear development that is part of the UK en- government's energy security strategy, and Trausvenith is often earmarked as a small modular reactor site. Energy has featured on the pod regularly over the years, but tonight we begin a two-parter series looking at nuclear power. Joining us tonight to put the case for nuclear power is Rachel Garrick. Good evening, Rachel. Evening, Kerry. How are you doing? Good, good. Thanks. Okay, so I wanted to start off with probably quite an interesting area, really. Your day job is working over the border on a on a project in the nuclear sector. That in itself, I imagine, is pretty exceptional. But you know, how did you come to be in that role? What attracted you to this particular industry? So I've always been of the opinion you can affect more change by engaging with organisations than standing outside on the gates and protesting. So um, I went into the industry in the 90s doing radiation protection and um, you know, my master's was in radiation and environmental protection and I've sort of been around doing radiation protection, radiological consequences, independent nuclear um, internal regulation ever since. It's, it's For me, it's important that actually things are done correctly in the nuclear industry. And, you know, if you want something done properly, you know, who do you trust the most? You can trust yourself, can you? It's definitely an industry where we want safety to be at the, the highest levels, I imagine. So that is good to hear. Um, so the pod has looked at uh, energy quite a few times. We've often looked at um, the renewable side of it. We haven't really focused on the, the big areas of power whales, which is the gas power stations and, of course, nuclear. What is the current status of the nuclear sector in Wales? Well, obviously, we've got the decommissioning at Trous and over in Anasman as well, in Wilbur. You've also got a, quite a large contingent of the nuclear industry workforce goes across the border as well. So we've got quite a lot of highly skilled workforce in different parts of the nuclear industry that work both inside Wales and outside of Wales. It's a really huge resource. In, in terms of projects in Wales, I think we, we we know we've got that engineering skill, we've got that history with both Wilver and Trosvenev. And is Wilver still as part, I think I read that it was part of the UK government's energy security plan. Where is that now? Is that still being developed or is it on a hiatus? No, no, it's pretty, pretty um, full steam ahead. They're looking at investments in it it's generally looking at small modular reactor investment and both Trous and Wilver are sites that Rolls-Royce have listed as potential um, SMR sites going forward in the future the only issue with that is of course that we don't actually have any 
operational SMRs at this stage in time across, well, across the world, really. So it's getting those things built and getting them built safely is important, but it means that you've got quite a long track from the point where you're deciding which site you're going for, going through your generic design analysis, which then gives you the ability to get permitted and permission to um, start your project with the Office of Nuclear Regulation, and then going through the lengthy process of building and commissioning as well. It's it's a really big undertaking. Uh, I, I follow this a little bit too closely as a bit of an infrastructure Greek, but SMR stands for? More modular reactor. They're a lot smaller than your conventional ones that we've had in the UK to date. They're supposed to be a lot easier to build together, to put together, and then to run. So the notion is that you can put multiple ones throughout country or countries to build yourself a reliable, diffuse supply. That's something I wanted to just touch on as well. So that's Wales. There are opportunities in Wales, and I think we know that those are being looked at, and I'm sure behind the scenes they are moving forward in those but nuclear in terms of energy it's definitely wider than just the country you build a project in and over the border just across the seven estuary seven estuary even is one of the largest building projects in europe delivering hinkley point c you know what is the wider nuclear sector in the uk up to is it just england and scotland developing anything well, it, it's not Scotland. Scotland's very much um, quite against new build itself. So it's principally looking at sites in England and Wales. There's quite a few. Obviously, you've got the whole um, ex-Magnox um, fleets now in decommissioning. So a lot of those sites are being considered. Are they good candidate sites? And what you find is where you've got sites that have previously had nuclear energy um, projects and had reactors, you tend to have a much more um, welcoming and um, informed approach from the local community. Local communities tend to um, experience them as good investments for the local area and you get a lot of people who work in those industries in the areas. So there's a lot more understanding of the risks as well so if you look at Dunray, which is where I first started working back in the 90s up in Scotland that's right on the far far north coast it's 25 miles um, west of John O'Groats and it was built up there as their experimental research facility and it had the fast reactive um, reactors built up there as well and the MP for Caithness at the time, when it was actually started building in the 50s, campaigned for it to be there, to bring industry to that area. Caithness is a massive, massive county with mostly agricultural um, industry. So it was a huge, huge employer and it created a heck of investment for the Thurso and Wick area up in Caithness. Yeah, I think those wider economic benefits of these huge developments i have read a few things about what hinkley point is delivering in the west of england and i think those are often overlooked so um obviously we've had that as well in wales because we had the horizon project in wilver which was in place investment was going into the local community um we had um we were seeing apprentices taken on they had really good futures and it got dumped because the UK government wouldn't 
negotiate on it and to the, at the point where um, the company running it had to negotiate. So they got strung along to a point where they had to actually close that project. And, you know, people lost their jobs and what they had hoped would be their futures as well, you know. So there was the investment in Wales. And unfortunately, it's one that's failed because of lack of UK government support and interest. I think that uh, UK government support and interest in Wales is one we could talk long and hard about. But uh, it, it, I think it's definitely in the current strategy for UK security. It's just who comes in and picks up the the remains of that project, I suppose. You, you mentioned the, the SMRs there. Those could change the sector quite considerably, as as you said. But is there an aspect in that that they might not be as popular in local communities if there are a lot less jobs to support those and the maintenance side of it? Well, you still need a workforce associated with those. You still need, well, for example, a good set of expertise as well to support it through safety case as well. And while you may have a smaller requirement for maintenance, you've got a wider fleet, you've got a larger fleet. So what you find in the nuclear industry with maintenance is you get a really large peripatetic workforce that moves around and works on the outages. So what you'll find is you'll get this large outage workforce that would be going around more and more reactors because you still have a frequency of maintenance and outage requirements, even for SMRs. Really is quite an interesting area, the, the small modular reactors. But when we talk about low carbon, sustainable energy, nuclear has been delivering that now um, for for decades, really. And it's something which doesn't really come up that that often. But what nuclear also does, it, it provides that kind of consistent base load that a grid for a country the size of Britain really needs. Is it fair that we haven't really got much else except nuclear to provide that base load? Well, I think it was really, really obvious uh, last winter and the winter before when we had to start, it was under Boris Johnson, so it would have been the winter before, but we had to start bringing on coal stations um, to provide baseload. So, yeah, you do need nuclear. I mean, that I think coincided with some of the larger power stations in the UK going into decommissioning and being off the bars. So, yeah, it is absolutely important. It gives you that long-term stable base load as well so you're not just looking at a base load that you've got now you've got it again in 60 years time as well um we talk a lot about transitioning to renewables which is great and it's also a really good important part of your energy mix because you do need an energy mix you need different you need diversity in your types of supply as well sorry i can even hear my voice starting to geek out now on this but um what you don't we don't talk about a lot is the lifetime um of something such as wood wind turbine you're looking at about 15 years for your life cycle of that and then you're rebuilding them and having to replace them as as well whereas actually with nuclear you've got this long-term supply that is going on for decades and generations what is the lifetime of um a new modern nuclear reactor such as something like hinkley point is it like you said about that 60 year plus mark yeah you're looking at about that i think okay oh, that's really interesting do you see any kind of plans coming out from, from Welsh Government then in how they plan to integrate nuclear power into that broader energy mix? Because you mentioned um, 
win there, which is something Wales is is developing and has got lot big plans for floating wind farms in the Irish Sea. But is is nuclear part of our plans from the Senate? Ah, so I'm I'm probably going to need to be held back from a devolution rant at this point, but essentially, and you'll know this as a infrastructure geek, devolution prevents two things: it prevents energy projects above a certain megawatt output being done in Wales. That has to be approved by UK government, and then again you have prevention of building um, grid capacity, I think over 33 kilo, kilovolts, sorry, kilo electrical volts. So obviously you need larger than that to be able to put in place your nuclear power. Even your SMRs are going to exceed that megawattage and that requirement for transformers going onto the bars. So you're not going to see any Welsh government under the current devolution arrangements being able to make realistic plans for high energy baseload projects. And that's not just nuclear, that's anything above your wind turbines or your solar, you know. You just can't do it because devolution doesn't facilitate it. You can talk about supporting it and, you know, I think under um, Carwin there was a good attempt to support Horizon up in Wilver, but without that UK government agreement, without that UK government um, investment, because they hold the wider infrastructure parts, you can't realistically plan in the detail that you need to on the Saneth, which again is an argument for either devolution or potentially independence, where you actually are masters of your own future and your own electricity grid. I don't want to put you on the spot, though, but one one of the issues we've got with our energy generation and consumption is that if we are looking to export it, our market would be for England. So would, would Wales be in a position with current nuclear kind of requirements to do any kind of nuclear project on its own? That would depend on the funding. So, it, you know, it depends where you are and what your um, ability to invest is. Most nuclear across the world tends to have some level of um, investment. And so it's the government support is difficult and we are a small nation, but you are seeing more and more smaller nations getting into nuclear as well. And you're seeing more and more nations across the world looking at nuclear power. I think Poland recently signed um, a memorandum of understanding to start their nuclear fleet up, for instance. We're hoping to to speak to the two uh, first minister or Labour leader candidates during the, the their kind of approach to seeking that kind of position. So these might be questions we can put to them at some point where Wales is with nuclear. I think... Going back to the previous leadership election, I know Mark was very, at one point, anti-nuclear and wanted to have Wales as a nuclear-free zone. And I know, obviously, Vaughan was running in that election and he was, I think, much more supportive of the industry and understood sort of the importance of it to the Welsh workforce as well. Yeah, I think it's different. I um, have got a, a green shade in my politics and I, I waver on this and always feel I need more information to be totally informed on where we are with it. I, I've gone from opposing it to supporting it to, to wavering at the moment. But 
I think those that economic impact it'd be a big aspect to those two Labour leaders. And I think, as you mentioned, the likes of Wilver or Wilver Newith could provide a really significant economic impact to Wales, couldn't they? Yeah, they could. They absolutely could. And they also provide that green energy as well. A lot of people are reluctant to support nuclear, but while we're people may be reluctant to support it all that time, we are still relying on carbon emitting technologies. And you have coal fired and gas fired plants sitting there ticking out carbon into the environment every minute of the day. You know, we recorded the hottest year ever for the world last year. You know, we need to look at actual real solutions and high energy geo carbon outputs where it's at. Do you think your industry gets frustrated about how little that carbon kind of impact with a lot of how we generate our electricity is portrayed in the media? Like you mentioned, we've gone back to coal uh, last winter, but we are really weaned off coal. But an awful lot of Welsh energy is from one particular gas-fired power station in the west of Wales, and that's from imported gas as well, which is significantly more carbon-intensive, I understand, for more local gas um, supplies. Do, do the industry really need to highlight how difficult it is to remove that carbon from our energy mix? No, I don't think you're going to see the industry as the nuclear industry highlighting it. Most major players in the nuclear industry are major players in the energy industry. So, you know, while they're making efforts to reduce, you know, they're not necessarily going to be saying, well, you know, shut us down, are they? <laughs> they are going to be making efforts to build, but investment does return really quickly because of the high level of input on nuclear, but you've got to be able to put that investment in in the first place. So it's it's a difficult situation, you know. So that the energy industry... Um, we're stuck with the legacy of Thatcher with um, privatising to build for the markets. So you're looking in the UK at sort of energy companies having to fund themselves, which is a task. Yeah, and I think um, we look at very much overseas investment as well. I think Wilver, the past project, was a Japanese company. I think Hinkley Point is uh, part funded by a French company or something along those lines. You know, nuclear, you know, we, we have to talk about some of the issues with nuclear with you, Rachel. You know, it, it hasn't got the best press with the public, and particularly in Wales with the after effects from Chernobyl from um, the the 80s. And the, there are some other issues around where waste is deposited or how waste is disposed of. What's the industry view of those kind of environmental aspects? How does it deal with talking around those and... Um, how it can convince the public that these aren't areas to be too concerned of? Well, the industry itself is really, really aware of the hazards and the responsibilities it has in that. You look at Chernobyl, and we, yeah, we're going back nearly 40 years now. I remember being 10. Things have moved on. But you've got the International Atomic Energy Association constantly working for best practice. And it's incredibly, incredibly aware of the responsibilities of nuclear and how special it is. And there are 
international efforts to ensure that safety is of absolute paramount in the industry. And where you know, there's huge schools of thought, there's huge levels of research on accidents in the industry and how they are how they occur and how they're avoided. I mean, you spend years studying that type of thing and putting it into practice in terms of the technology that we're using now 40 years later. It's incredibly important for the industry and it is something that the industry takes seriously. And that's not a PR thing, that is genuinely an understanding and undertaking of what we're dealing with. When you actually, you know, I've been around the block a few times and I've worked in nuclear, I've worked in electrical distribution and infrastructure. And honestly, the nuclear industry is probably the most environmentally aware in terms of protecting the environment than any industry I've ever worked in. No, I think that's really good to know. I, I was expecting that, but it is really good to hear someone in the industry talking about that. And uh, anything with nuclear, whether it's in uh, Japan and what they're doing there, or other places around the world, it, it, there is that fear, and again, of Chernobyl, or I think way before our time, the Nine Mile Island in the US, which I, I must have to read up about sometimes. I've heard about it, but don't know an awful lot about it. That's the meltdown that nearly happened. <laughs> you can look at um, Fukushima as well, and you look at that, you look at the international response to Fukushima, it was massive, I and mean, that was back in 2011. So we're getting on for, oh, we're over 10 years, we're getting towards 15 years. And yeah, even the UK response to that, you had the Waitman Report, which was put out by the Office of Nuclear Regulation, which, you know, took all the best, all the analysis of that um, particular incident looked at how it um, affected the nuclear industry, how it applied to the UK nuclear industry, and it expected all its nuclear licensees to implement those recommendations. You know, it, we don't mess around with this type of thing. There are, I, I'm not trying to labour the point here, but looking at the wider world, there are parts of the world which have scaled back their nuclear um, approach just, just as other parts of the world are ramping up their nuclear approach, aren't they? Can you give us a quick summary about where the wider global approach to nuclear is at the moment? Now, I think the easiest thing to do is look at Germany versus France. If you ever look at your CO2 output or footprint for countries, you look everywhere and France is this little oasis of green. And it's this little oasis of green because it has invested heavily in the nuclear industry and it has the highest level of nuclear power around in Europe. And then you look at Germany and you look at its increase in CO2 emissions as it turned off its fleet in response to Fukushima. And you realise actually that's what the nuclear industry or nuclear power can do. It can massively reduce a, a country's output of CO2 and switching off your reactors can massively increase it as well but saying that you're seeing more and more countries doing it um, you've got UAE's heavily investing China's got a massive nuclear program as well um, I mentioned Poland's just going in India's um, building it, actual peaceful civil nuclear power is being adopted and you're seeing 
an interest in changing culture. It's like old crusties like us, sorry, Carrie. Um, we we have sort of grown up with that, you know, you remember Chernobyl, um, you remember the sort of peace movements, and there is that sort of wariness around nuclear power. And then, you know, my um, eldest is 16-year-old Jen Zedder, and you look at that generation and they're look they're not looking at what the issues are for nuclear. They're looking at what the issues are from global warming and seeing nuclear as actually an opportunity to really reduce the carbon footprint of the world. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see where it goes. And uh, you know, I, I primed you there a little bit and I you went down the route with France and Germany. I was hoping you would because it is a really big comparison there. And I know other parts of Europe, I think there's a there's a massive station in Finland which is either coming online or has come online recently. So that there are countries around Europe which are investing heavily in nuclear. If, if Wales were to invest in that kind of nuclear route, whether that be a UK government scheme in one of the existing sites or something new, you mentioned the grid capacity, and that, that's been mentioned but also by our renewable guests and including one who's who was looking to invest in Wales and says the grid just isn't able to take what they want at a renewable level is, is that a real problem for Wales strategically it's a real problem for the UK strategically I worked in um, distribution networks for a good few years I remember at the time um, I was working for a company that was decommissioning rebuilding and commissioning new substations because the government had actually carried taken out legislation to make distribution operators doing it because again going back to um, 19 the 1980s and the philosophy then a lot of the grid was again privatized and left to run for profit and when you have um, infrastructure run for profit what you see is lighter levels of investment and maximization of income so it is a problem but the grid really does need a lot of investment to be able to carry it and you're going to need to do that and like you said the renewables is an issue you look at the transport policies not just here but across the UK well until Rishi Sunak got his hands on it anyway you're looking at more and more investment in um, electric vehicle fleets to do that you need to switch from petrol and diesel over to electricity to do that you need to increase your base load and to do that you need to increase your grid capacity as well it's absolutely needed for the future of the country yeah i think that's what i want to come to now it, it's that kind of question about how the uk uh, to a lesser extent, Wales, but does that long-term strategic planning? Because nuclear is that long-term infrastructure build, and I'm not sure about some of the other projects. But you know, the other long-term infrastructure project, which we, which is the the poster boy, as it were, is HS2, and that hasn't really gone that well. But it it, it is all linked because, as you said, you know, HS2s electricity powered. Uh, we want to put more of our rail electricity. We want to decarbonize our uh, car fleets, but we need that electricity. Are we in a position where we're looking for that long-term strategic approach in the UK? Because I imagine if we wanted to do a nuclear reactor from make the decision today, I imagine it wouldn't come online for, what, 20, 25 years? 
Well, some projects are longer than others, but um, the vision for SMRs is a much shorter build time. So you could be looking at five to 10 years. I think five was floated around originally, but I'd suspect seven to 10 years in all honesty. But yeah, I mean, I might get a bit party political here, but under the last Labour UK government, there was a vision under Gordon Brown for increased infrastructure and increased electricity distribution. It was actually Gordon Brown's vision that started the nuclear renaissance in the UK with the building of nuclear power. And since then, we've seen a lot of floundering with ups and downs on what are we going to build? Where are we going to build? How much money are we going to put in? How much money are we not going to put in? We've seen the collapse of um, nuclear um, projects, particularly in Wales with Wilvernuet. And it's just not there. And then you've got the Labour Party sitting there waiting for government with a very, very solid green energy policy. And that policy, it's it's not going, we're building nuclear, but it's absolutely got nuclear as part of its ambitions in there. So, you know, we are thinking long term and it's something that hasn't happened for over a decade of conservative sequential administrations under sequential um, prime ministers that haven't fought longer than how long they're going to survive the 1922 committee rather than actually how we're going to build a UK that's um, able to even manage to survive in terms of energy and transport. Yeah, I we're very happy for guests of the pod to be political, so it's no problem on that. I might even ask you a little question about that towards the end. And um, one of the things we've seen though in this kind of um this the current government we've got is that our energy supply is very much that kind of led by the private sector. Are some of the issues we've got on our energy uh, system that kind of getting the balance between public and private sector engagement? Uh, to work as it should do? Should should the state be more directly involved in delivery of these big energy infrastructure projects, do you think? I would say so. I think if you look around the globe, you can see states that really do have um, public energy and that are potentially thriving. You know, there's certain um, companies that you'll notice across the globe building, for instance, and they are generally supported by their governments and you're just not seeing that in the same way in the UK you know there's not that drive you've got short-termism in government it's been incredibly short-termism over the last decade um, in terms of how long any particular administration lasts and you know privatization means that companies are making choices on profits and how they survive rather than you know what the um, UK or Wales might need. I, I suppose one of the th big things with um, nuclear is the kind of hidden costs which people talk about when the industry is facing those cleanups as we have seen in Trosvaniv and on Anglesey. What are we doing now with nuclear waste? Is it still the, the issue it always has been in people's perception or are there other ways to manage nuclear waste now? So first of all, you know, cost of cleanup, every new project now has to have a funded decommissioning plan at the point of licensing. You know, you don't get permission to build without a funded decommissioning plan being 
in place. And interestingly, that is the one area that the government takes a direct interest in. So you see the decommissioning organisations are funded through the government itself and it becomes a UK asset at that point in time. In terms of actual nuclear storage, a lot of that's down to planning law in the UK and how you decide to do it. Fundamentally, the safest thing to do with nuclear waste is bring it to a stable state and let it decay in a stable environment. And there are countries that are achieving that and doing this. The biggest debate we have in the UK isn't about how we handle it. It's about where we place it. And, you know, it is a stable um, state that you're bringing things down to. But it's it's a new conversation for any community. You know, it's easier to go and build a power station that brings in a lot of jobs and a lot of economy for a, for a community to consider than compared to actually we'd like this very stable but actually economic inactive storage facility to be in your area. Every community wants to say no to that. Yeah, it's a difficult one, but I, I'm sure I've read that um, there are places in Wales which have been earmarked for potential for storage. But um... Across the UK, there's candidate sites as well, and it, it, is, it is that conversation. And again, any government that actually makes that decision has to accept that it is making that decision and a community is going to be looking at having that and they understand that it feels like a literal hot potato. One of the arguments, certainly at the UK level, for the energy security and where Wales features and nuclear sites is around that energy security. And we've seen that um, really threatened across Europe recently with Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And not just around gas, but um, the Ukraine nuclear facilities have all been threatened. What are the kind of raw materials which we rely on to make that kind of energy security? Are they in Britain's gift or are they something we import as well? No, it does tend to be imports. So my trade union is Prospect. One of the things we are interested in and have been interested is ensuring that uranium that's supplied to the UK as fuels um, doesn't come from Russia because Russia has been actually a supplier of uranium over the years as well. So. There's been a big push from the trade unions to politically move the country away from that type of import. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be some irony if we're still importing such materials. But then again, Russia is a huge supplier of such raw materials, isn't it? I am going to come on to some of your other activities, but I've got one final uh, nuclear question. And it, it's really might be quite difficult, but just wonder if you could frame that kind of intellectual and practical argument about why Wales should be embracing new nuclear generation as part of that kind of economic and energy strategy, whatever kind of relationship we have with Britain is? I think it's important technologically. It's also important economically for us. It is a great part of the economy to be able to develop a workforce and let's face it you know our heritage has always been as a powerhouse in terms of energy infrastructure you know from coal mining to water 
all those types of resources have always been part of our tradition and nuclear has been part of our tradition as well i think it's really important that we don't lose the workforce that we already have as well and again you go back to that diversification of your energy supply you don't want that diversification to be um, away from sort of solar and um, wind to be looking at um, low carbon or higher carbon outputs you want that to be zero carbon and you need that diversification. You never know what that future is going to throw at you. So it is incredibly important, in my opinion, for us. No, that's great. And if I may, I am we got you under here under the false pretenses to talk about nuclear, but you have got a fantastically interesting variety of other hats you put on. I could talk to you about your trade unionism as well, which would be interesting. But I do want to just ask you, you, you are a Labour, 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 you are a Labour councillor in Monmouthshire and you've recently won control of the council. I just thought it'd be interesting what your kind of um, experiences so far are of, of taking over that administration. And um, I think it's, um, you're working in collaboration with at least um, a Green councillor who I'm familiar with in Monmouthshire. Um, just wondering how that is at the moment, what local government the the real threat it's facing in some quite difficult times. Yeah, it's 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 been incredibly challenging in terms of the challenges of local government. I mean, everybody goes into local governments with an opinion that they can instigate change, and you probably got from the last hour or so that actually making a difference in what you do is something that I really, really strongly believe in and live by. And it's incredibly hard because you you land and you we took over a council that had been conservative for many, many years. So it's a huge change and you have opinions on how you're going to change this. And you land and you suddenly realise, well, actually, we are in a massive funding crisis throughout the UK for local government. It's reflected in Wales through the settlements that we get, which are linked to the Barnett formula, which means, well, it isn't being spent in the in England. It ain't going to get spent in Wales or Scotland or Northern Ireland either because it ain't going to be given. So you're standing there looking at it and you've, you've got to make some really hefty decisions on how you're actually going to run this council to provide what you want. And, you know, you, you get people, they want to see their potholes fixed and they want their bins collected. That's what local government's about to your average voter or your average resident. But actually, you're sitting there thinking, OK, how am I going to be providing the education to all the children in this county? How am I going to provide the social care to everybody needs it that needs it in our community? It's a really, really challenging experience. And, you know, we're looking you know, last year, we had huge levels of inflation and you've got limited government spend and limited ability to um, give settlements to um, councils that will make a difference and it's incredibly trying so yeah it's it's been a challenge no and uh, we wish you well with that challenge going forward i don't believe that the immediate f future looks uh, uh any less problematic but uh longer term we shall see won't we it's going to be an interesting year uh, i won't put you on the spot for any of those I was just going to say, I think it's actually been a really positive experience going into a coalition with um, the um, Green Councillor as well. It's it's made it 
possible to pass policy that's, you know, actually we believe in and can make a difference to the county as well. So, you know, we're looking at building 100% affordable and social housing in one local development area, actually in my town as well, you know. We're looking at what um, council tax means for empty homes as well and how we can get those into circulations. It's all things that we can achieve because actually we are in a coalition now rather than being in a hung council where it was difficult to make any progress. So, you know, there's challenges, but there's positives and opportunities as well. No, I think that's great. And um, my part of the world is a little slither of Monmouthshire goes up from uh, Abergavenny way up to uh, Gospel Pass over to Hay. And uh, the road, which has landslipped away between Gospel Pass and uh, Plantoni Abbey, has been reopened. So that's an achievement, which I'll, I'll credit to yourselves for dealing with that. But um, just want to thank you for your time tonight. It's been uh, really, really interesting. It is appreciated. If people want to hear a little bit more about what you do, whether that be your industry or your council work, or I didn't mention really your work about uh, Labour for an independent Wales, but can they find you anywhere on social media or any other ways to contact you? Yeah, so obviously um, I've been quite active in Twitter, on Twitter, although that's I've been a bit quieter more recently because I have been incredibly busy being elected to the council as well, but I'm on Twitter as um, RC underscore Garioch, which is the um, Scottish spelling of my surname rather than the anglicised Garrick that um, is on my um, actual sort of certificates. And if you've got a council issue as well, you can find me on that council website too. That's great. Once again, Rachel, thank you very much. Yes, no worries. If you've enjoyed today's episode, then you can find more from Hiraith on the various podcast apps. We are on all the socials at Pod, and if you want to support us with your wallet as well as your ears, you can do so from just £3 a month at patreon.com slash Pod. Thank you for listening to Hiraith. If you like what you heard, please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review.